theyeshiva.net. Okay, so let's summarize one of the main points that we have been learning. Namely, that kol ha-gavoya, there's a klal, a principle that kol ha-gavoya, gavoya b'yoyser, yoyred l'mata, mata b'yoyser. That which is higher comes down lower. Which means that when you see something that falls down very, very low, on one level it's very, very low, on another level, that's a sign, that's an identifying sign that you're dealing with something extremely high and extremely lofty, something that's very gavaya, and because it's so gavaya, because it's so high, so therefore it, it could come down and it does come down low. The muscle, as we said, when somebody jumps out, somebody falls from a higher place, the fall is much much stronger, much harsher, much lower in terms of quality. When you have a wall that falls down, so the rocks that are on the top, the bricks that are on the top are going to fall further. So that's on one level. will come down, as I said from the Rechayim, that the Aryeh, the lion in the Merkava is higher than the Shur. But here in this world, it's the other way around. It falls down much lower. Somebody, like the Gemara says, Kal HaGadol Mechavere, Yitzra Yaiser Gadol. The Gemara says in Sukkah, somebody who's greater, the challenges, the Yitzhahara is also greater. So sometimes from the depth of the Yerida, one could recognize the Gavoyaness, the highness of it. That's on one level. On another level, it also means, and they're connected, that uh, sometimes in the mata-mata, in the lowest, that's where you could recognize the gavaya-gavaya. That's where you could recognize the highest. Not just if it's higher, it falls lower. But also, the fact that it could reach mata-mata, it can reach this place... The first situation we're talking about sometimes that it's unrecognizable. The potential was there, but the nephila is a very serious nephila, and the fact that it fell so low is only because it's rooted in gavaya gavaya, which of course means that the way of dealing with it, the way of healing it is, if you're not going to uh, introduce it to its gavaya gavaya, you won't be able to be masakin it, you won't be able to fix it, because that's what it needs in order to be able to be restored back to its real shaydish, back to its real source. So that's a very uh, profound nafkamin, a very profound application. We have to be able to help it go back, not just to a place that is mediocre, but to a place that is really high, because that's what it really is. That, that's where its tikkun is. But then there's also, in the positive sense, even without a nefilah, that sometimes the gavoya gavoya biyaser, where will you recognize its truth? You will recognize it only in the most distant places. As he gives the three mashalim, and each mashal adds another dimension. That when you have a big fire, when you have a small fire, the light extends not so far. When you have a big avuka, when you have a huge avuka, the bigger it is, the further the light extends. And when you have a insanely large source of light, so then it can travel huge, huge, huge distances and reach places 
that obviously smaller sources of light would never reach. So where do you recognize its power? Where do you recognize its strength? You don't recognize it in the closer places, even though there there's much more light. You recognize it precisely in the most distant places, even though there there's much less light. And if you would light a candle there, you would have even more light. But nonetheless, the fact that it can reach to such a distance, that's where you recognize the greatness of the original light. So it's in the mata-mata, in the furthest distance, that you could see the impact, and you could see the value, and you could see the depth of the gavoya gavoya. You wouldn't be able to see it. You wouldn't be able to see it for what it is, close. Another marshal, he brings us from water, yeah? That when you have a pitcher that's full, the pitcher is full, but when you have a pitcher that overflows, so from the overflow, you could see that there is much more water here. There's much more, uh, there's much more abundance of water here. Here again, the overflow is the shirayim, it's hefker, it's extra. But nonetheless, that's where you see inside the abundance of water, where if the water inside is not overflow. But from there you won't see how much water there is. Or the marshal he gave from a teacher that you'll see the sichas chul and the overflow. From the overflow you see genius. Even though that's only an overflow, it's, it's not, doesn't seem so deep. But over there you will see the gavaya b'yosa. And then the third marshal was, completely different type of marshal was from the tipa. That uh, when a father or a teacher, a mother or anybody shares spiritual information, seichel, midas, ideas, emotions. They can never create a student from it. They can give it over to somebody who already is a person and has the capacity to understand. So a teacher could give over his ideas, his internal ideas to somebody else. The ability to create a child, a new person, completely new, and a new person that has a brain, it develops a brain too, which will be able to understand. That comes from which part of the body? You would think it comes from, from, from the light of the body, from the energy, from the spirituality. No. It comes dafka from the tipa, or from the egg, from the seed of life, from the sperm, which, as he said, on one level, is very, very physical. It's a tipa gashmas. When one sees it, they wouldn't think. If you don't know, what, what, what is in here? From the hashpah, ruchnis, from the spiritual emanation of the, of the parent, that doesn't come. What could come is inspiration, ideas, information. And that's why, if the student is not shaykh to understand, if he doesn't have his own mind, he won't be able to absorb anything. He has to be a bar seichel. On the contrary, though, in the tipa gashmis, in the seed of life, that is completely, completely physical, it doesn't seem at the surface to carry anything great, but over there you have the potentiality, of course, it has to be <coughs> absorbed, conceived, fertilized, conceived to develop into an embryo, you have to have a lot of conditions. But what is the potential? Here you have the potential of a complete organism, a complete goof with an ashama, a fetus, a child. So in the mata mata, in the tipa, which seems very physical and concrete and simple, you have the deepest core self of the father and mother, their ability, their potential to procreate, to reproduce a new person 
which comes from the deepest place in them. It's not something external. It's their core. Mamish, the etzem hanefesh, the core of the soul, which has the ability to reproduce, to procreate. A new child, where is that translated? Where does that come out? It comes out in the tipper. And what comes out from that? A child who is completely separate, who is completely distinct, just like the tipper seems completely distinct. Once it comes out, and it carries the core of the parent, it also creates a child who is a complete own mohus, a completely, as he says, mohus chadash, a separate entity from the parent that doesn't even seem connected. I mean, you know it's a child, there's always emotional connection, but on a physical level, he or she is their own person. And he says this, these three metaphors were given by the Mittler Rebbe in Shari Eira, in a Sefer Shari Eira, the son of the Balatanya. And the Rebbe says in Basi Lagani that it's not just three metaphors, they correspond to the three worlds, Bria and Yitzira and Asiya. Or, Eir, Mayim, and Rekia. The first is a marshal of Eir, light. The second is a marshal of water. The third is a marshal of the Tipa, which is how the water gets more congealed. Rakia. So the first is a level of a, of a, high, a higher but light. is always connected to its source. It just travels far, but it's always connected to the original source. Water is not necessarily connected to its original source. You could pour water. But nonetheless, it's still a flow. There is a continuum. And there is some form of connection, even if it's a separate mohus. It's not the same light. But nonetheless, there is a continuum. And then there is the third concept, which is the, which is the, the tipa, which is a rakia, something that becomes concrete on a new, in a, in a, as, a, as a separate entity. And all of this gives the mashal, the mashalim for kolagavaya beyaser, including in this world. Because in every level, this is true. Wherever you're talking about, the most spiritual, the most physical, whatever is higher, its, gra- it's truth, its, its greatest power, its de- deepest depth will emerge only in the mata mata beyaser. That's where you will see its atzmiyas, that's where you'll see its mohus, its impact and how it influences, and how it reaches that which is the lowest in its realm, the lowest in its world. Where if it's not so gavaya, it can't reach there. It has to stay away from there, because it's not the higher I am, the lower I can go, the further I can go. So the, when something goes everywhere, it shows the gavaya, gavaya b'yoyser, and therefore it's not afraid, it doesn't have to limit itself to a certain realm, it can reach to the lowest, lowest place in that world. Why? Because it reaches into, it reaches into its highest place. What's Negea here in this discussion is, ultimately, the third component, the marshal of the tipa, which describes our world, Olam Hasiya. Because here we're addressing the ego, the sense of ego of our world, the yesh, the yesh hanivra, and even though the yesh hanivra exists also in Olam Habri and Olam Yitzira, but the greatest sense of yeshus is in our world, because in this world there's complete concealment. One doesn't feel any connection. There's no connection in a revealed way. So at first glance we said that l'cha'ira, this would seem, 
as the great lowliness of our world, the world of Klippus, the world of Sitra the world of Tumah, the world of sin, the world where everything bad happens because Hashem is completely concealed. And what we have here is just a sense of self-centeredness and egotism, which is the source, it would seem, of all the corruption and all the problems of our world. And on one level, that's true. The hedonism, the self-centeredness, the narcissism, the selfishness, which produces all the types of Yetzirahs that people have on our world, and often a world that sometimes in certain places could look like a jungle, where might makes right. Came the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya Neger Sakaydash, and said, even though all of this is true, and we say that this world is based on symptom and helim and concealment, but there's also another dynamic here, the opposite. And that is that precisely the Yesh Nivra, the Yesh, the, the, the sense of selfhood, of independence, of autonomy, of the created being down here, not only is it not a concealment of Hashem, but from a deeper perspective, this is the greatest embodiment of Hashem in His essence. As he explained, that all the higher worlds emanate from Hashem's light. Because Hashem's light has a source, so therefore Hashem's light, which brings them into being, makes them feel that they also have a source. Just like their source feels that, they have, that it has a source, so that which comes from that source also feels that it has a source. The light of the sun knows that it has a source. It even says it, because if you shut the blinds, it won't exist anymore. You can't cut me off from my source. So light recognizes that it has a source. The worlds that come from that light also recognize that they have a source, just like their source recognizes that they have a source. Our world, the Yesha Nivra, is rooted in Atmos, in Hashem's essence. Hashem's essence doesn't have a source. So that's why we have the same feeling that we Taka don't have a source. And even though the reason we feel we don't have a source is because... We don't recognize the truth that we have a source. In other words, it's a result of the concealment. So in our mind, the reason I don't have a source is because I don't have a source. I'm just me. That's all there is. That's in my imagination. That's in my perception. But the real reason for this feeling, the real reason for this quality, for this characteristic that our world has is because it's a manifestation, it's an expression, it's an embodiment of Atmos, of Hashem in His essence, which Taka doesn't have a source. He doesn't have an antecedent. There's no source that brought Him into being. He doesn't feel that He comes from somewhere. Because He doesn't come from somewhere. His Mitzius comes from His essence. And this is what the Yesh HaGashmi captures. All the highest worlds, Ganeidin and Elam Haba and Hashemes and Malachim, all of them only capture the light of Hashem. Because they capture the light of Hashem, so therefore they all scream out that we have a source. But our world captures the essence of Hashem, the deepest essence of Hashem. And because it captures the deepest essence, so therefore our world screams out, Aniva Afsiyoid, there's nothing outside of me. I am everything. That I am everything on one level is the lowest. It's the lowest of the low. On another level, it's the deepest. That be'etzim, what is that? It's atzmus. It's atzmus speaking. It's just, the problem is, I don't know it. I don't associate it with that. 
In other words, the problem of our world is not the ego. The problem is, the problem of our world is not the ego. The problem is that I don't know what that ego is. The problem of the world is not the sense of self. That's its greatest blessing. The problem of the world is that I disassociate the sense of self from holiness. That I think the sense of self is unholy. It's, it's, it's crippled. It's blemished. It's under attack. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I'm trying to suppress it. That's the problem. The problem is I don't realize it's divinity. I divorce it from its, from its true core, from its divinity. So therefore, the Alter Rebbe revealed this in Egeris HaKadosh and Tanya and Simen Chav, that our world, which is based on Yesh, the internal instinctive sense of I, I am, I exist, etc., etc., that entire hergish of Yeshus, which is mitziusi me'atzmusi, comes from me. So even though, again, in my feeling, the reason I feel it is because I disassociate it from any higher source, any higher reality, but the emesis, the truth is, that the reason the world screams I am, because it's essentially a manifestation of the truest essence, which truly is, can say I am, and there's nothing that precedes the I am. And that's where when Mashiach comes, and everything will be revealed, so the ultimate diri betachtoinim, the ultimate home for Hashem is going to be betachtoinim in this world. The objective of all of the higher worlds with this world because all the higher worlds ultimately are a home for Hashem's light. But where does the truest essence, the greatest truth come out? Where will the greatest truth come out? And the fact that it's going to come out then means it's now also. Because Mashiach is not a different world, it's just a revelation of the truth. It's just like opening the curtains and seeing what was always on the stage. It's not like the props get created after you open the curtain. The props were always there. The curtain opening only means that you could perceive what was there. So he says when when Mashiach comes, you'll perceive the reality. But the reality is before. The reality is a true reality even before Mashiach comes. What is that true reality? That true reality is... That precisely in Olam Haza, in this world, which is physical, which is concrete, which is brute, which is coarse, which seems so desensitized from the spirituality and the transcendent experiences and emotions of the higher worlds, Dafke in the guf, in the body, the physical outcality of the body, which often is so dismissed as just, you know, the garbage that you have to deal with, but ultimately you graduate it and you reach the real world. But the truth is, it's the most real place. It's the most real place. That's where the ultimate realness comes out. It's more real than anything else. The very fact that it screams that there's nothing else is because, essentially, it is a manifestation of the core itself. And therefore, the ultimate healing, the ultimate rectification of everything in the world is not by running from it, but by the ability to be able to tune in and to see that that ultimate core sense of, of, of yesh, of self, of I in the world, what is it? It's nothing but the yesh ha-miti, the true yesh, which is being expressed in the yesh ha-nivra, to be able to bring the two together and express the truth that it's really, it's really one, it's not two separate things. And that's why the foundations in this world, unlike in the higher world, the foundations are always on the bottom, the yesh is always on the bottom. Now, what is that on the bottom? Yeah, what's the question? Well, it depends how you define Olam Haba. There's a famous argument between the Rambam and the Ramban what the ultimate Olam Haba is. 
the Rambam held that ultimate Olam Haba is in the spiritual worlds, and the resurrection of the dead is just a temporary schar, but ultimately the schar will be in the spiritual worlds. The Ramban and most of the Svarim of Kabbalah and Chassidus believe that, uh, that the ultimate Olam Haba is in this world, Takah. That the ultimate Olam Haba is going to be in, 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 in this world, not in the higher world. In the guf. And, and the argument is a very profound one. Can the ultimate reward be in the body? If you look at the body as, at best, an accessory, so then the ultimate reward can't be in the body, because why should you limit the reward so dramatically by keeping it in the body? Like, why keep it in a box? Let it be free. And that's one view, and it's a very understandable view. Because the body basically limits, even if it's important at best, but it limits, yeah? You need your sleep, you need to eat, you need to drink. The body has all of its temptations and desires and issues, and that's why there was a whole avoid by great people to, to suppress the body. There were even those uh, tiniest and sigufim, now with shoivavim, right? Now, those of you familiar with shoivavim, tat is a whole avoid of, of people who would fast and mortify the body, but the, the approach was that the body is the source of all trouble. The guf is the source of all trouble. It's the source of, uh, of all evil. If not the body, right, the soul doesn't sin, it's the body that sins. And of course we all know that we all know that if a body is not disciplined, right, you could become a real couch potato and a real addict. I mean, we know that. So that's no question about it. But the other approach was that it's not the case. That ultimately, in many ways, the goof embodies a realness of God that even the spiritual part of a person does not. And that's why, the, according to this shit, the ultimate schar will not be the neshama outside of the guf, but after the neshama, the neshama in the guf. Why don't sadiqim live forever? Because we always talk <coughs> kids that the tassim will sadiq, right? The body is living in there. Their whole life is for them. It's missed. And it's actually, they're going into a higher world. Yeah. It, so the truth is like this. When we speak about that the body is really the Yesha Amiti, that's the truth of it. But the bottom line is, as I said, till Mashiach comes, it's not revealed. In the Yesha Nivra, you don't see the Yesha Amiti. You could learn about it, you could think about it, the Altareb explains it, the Balatanya explains it. But the intuitive feeling of physicality is, one does not see godliness there. So in that sense, we say that when the Neshama leaves the body, it says in Zoyar, that Sadika, the Spater, Shtakach Bakul Alma Yatime Bechayoi. It says in Zoya that when a Tzadik passes away, he's found in all of the worlds more than in his lifetime. So the Balatanya says, he says in all of the worlds, that means even in this world, which doesn't seem to make sense. He should say he's found in the higher worlds, not in all of the worlds. In Igar Sakhaydish, he wrote this after the Petir of Reb Mendela Vitebsker, Mendela Haradakir, Simon Chavzayan Chavchas. So he explains, no. That during the lifetime, so the neshama of the tzaddik is within a guf, and the guf ultimately limits its light to some level. After the histalkos, the neshama's light is not limited by the guf, and therefore it expresses itself in an infinite fashion because it's not contained by the, by the limits of the body, and that's why you'll see that there's a tzaddik, that his influence and his ashpa after his passing is far greater than his influence during his lifetime, it should be the other way around. He's not here anymore. He's absent. You don't have the same energy, the same light. So the Baltanya says, no, sometimes it's exactly the other way around. That even in Elam Haza, not sometimes, always, that in Elam Haza, 
the 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 hispashtus is more, even though it's obviously not t- so tangible and it's still sad, etc. There's something missing, but there's a certain aspect where there's a mile, it doesn't mean. But that's all because, yeah, you're dealing with sof kol sof, even even the holiest body, even a body that's worked out, ultimately, the yesha nivra at this point doesn't scream the truth that its eye is atzmos. It is the truth. It is the truth. That's why you'll see, it's interesting that uh, you have, from all things about Mashiach, the donkey of Mashiach became a very significant uh, discussion in Chazal. Rashi even brings it, that the donkey is mentioned a few times and it's all the same donkey. It says, Vayashkim Avram Baboyka He saddled the donkey. And then it says, Bamoisha, he took his wife and children and he put them on the donkey and they went to Mitzrayim from Midian with the donkey. And then it says, Bamashiach, in Scharia, Onevereichavalachamoyra, a poor man who comes on a donkey. So Chazal say in Pirkadirebelezer, and Rashi brings it, that it's all the same donkey. The donkey that Avramavinu used to go to the Akkadian, the donkey that Moshe put his wife and children on to go to Mitzrayim to redeem the Jewish people, and the donkey of Mashiach is all the same donkey. It's the same Chamoyer. Which is a very strange thing, I mean. And if it wouldn't be the same donkey, <laughs> if it would be different donkeys, and if Mashiach is going to come in a car, <laughs> the voice is a donkey, I need the same donkey. And, I mean, does it mean Kipshuta? I mean, if it's Kipshuta, it means the donkey is a pretty old donkey. I mean, where is this donkey that's... Uh, that's almost 4,000 years old by now. From that cave, it's almost 4,000 years old. So you say it's a medrash, it doesn't mean kipshutai, it means it's the concept of the donkey. That's what the Maharal says. So one of the explanations is that chamoir comes from the word chamer. The word chamoir, right, comes from the word chamer, which means materialism. Chumrius, the physicality, chamer is called materialism, grubkeit. <laughs> you call somebody a chamoir. <laughs> A chamar, we know what it means, yeah? It means like very simple. There's a certain bruteness, a stupidity there. The chamar was considered also in animals, very, very simple, uh, stubborn, tough animal, but it can carry a burden. And that's why the guf is a marshal for the chamar. So there's three stages of the development of the chamar. It's the same chamar, but there's three stages. There's the time of Avramavinu, there's the time of uh, Moshe, there's the time of Mashiach. But Avram Avinu, what did he put on the donkey? He put his wood, the wood, the lumber that he carried for that kid, he put on the donkey. And that's why it says that by Yom Ashlishi, he saw the place. You stay here with the Chamoir. We'll come back. So he took the wood, the logs that he was using for the carbon, and he put it on Yitzchak. And in his hand, he took the knife and he took the fire. In other words, what did he use the donkey for? It seems like, at least explicitly, doesn't say that he or Yitzchak went on it. He used the wood he put on it and the knife and whatever he used for the fire. That was on the donkey. And that's why when he left the donkey with his lads, he has to take away these items and put them on Yitzchak and put them on himself. By Moshe, it says, he took the donkey, he placed on the donkey his wife and his children. doesn't mention himself. His wife and his children. Did he go on another donkey? Did he walk behind the donkey? doesn't say. By Mashiach it says, He himself will be riding on the donkey. 
So it's explained in Chassidus that it's actually three stages in the development of the guf, in the development of the body. Three states of consciousness. Avram Avinu was before Matan Torah, much before Matan Torah. At best, the physicality can be an accessory for the spirituality. So the guf could be like, like a slave, like a subservient to the soul. The, 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 you, you carry the wood, you carry the fire, you carry the knife. In other words, at best, the guf could be meshubed. The guf could be enslaved, completely disciplined, like a slave, completely subservient to the soul. And that's a tremendous madrega, where your body, instead of being an independent, uh, an independent contractor who does whatever he wants, like many of our bodies, the guf turns to the neshama and says, what now? Like a real slave, you know, before Abraham Lincoln, when slaves sadly were part of reality, the real slave, he didn't make a move without his master's permission or consent. So that's in the Bechina of Avram Avinu. You would think it's the greatest level. No, it's before Matan Torah. Before Matan Torah, the guf, at best, at its highest level, is subservient to the soul. It's bottle, it's mishuba to the soul. Matan Torah changed that. Because the Chiddush of Matan Torah is, as the Medrash says, El yoinim yeridu lamata v'tachtoinim yalu lamayla. There's a bridge between heaven and earth, like we learned here about the beams and the amud and the pillars that connect heaven and earth. So now it changes. So Moshe Rabbeinu already puts his wife and his children on the, on the body, on the, on the chamer, on the donkey, on the guf. Ishto is kegufay damya. Your wife is like your body. It's the second half of a person's soul. Your children, brakara is an extension of you. They already, the chamer could carry them, not just the wood. In other words, the body is not just a slave. The body is already a partner. The body could be elevated. The body could be sublimated. The body can be enlightened. You can have a marriage. There could be a marriage between the soul and the body. That's what's represented by the fact that Moshe, when he's going down to Mitzrayim to liberate the Jewish people and bring them to Matan Torah, here already the level of the chamoyer is elevated, elevated seriously. It's not just tuffle, it's not just subservient as a slave in the stable. No, now it's already used for his wife and his children. In other words, the guf can, can join along. The guf could, could come along on this marriage and, and feel, feel part of it. You don't have to uh, subjugate the physical and, and only harness it and enslave it, but rather it can, it can already feel a partnership, which is, again, a tremendous, a tremendous state. By Mashiach, the Chiddush is much deeper. He himself is going to be riding on the donkey. In other words, the Gilui of Mashiach is going to be with the donkey, through the donkey, he himself. Why? Because here it's already not just the goof is a partner, but it's the other way around. The soul gets nourished from the goof. It says, The neshama will get chiyas from the body. In other words, the body has something that even the soul doesn't have. So the gilu of Mashiach himself will be on the donkey. The donkey is going gonna, is gonna to bring it out. Not just the body is a partner and schlepping along or even enthusiastically coming along, but the guf becomes in some ways the mucker, the shoydrish, the source of the hisgalus of Mashiach. Why? That's the explanation. Because the yesh hagashmi, which is represented in the body, on one level seems to be at best, at best a slave, even more at best a partner, but at worst, a complete enemy, or just apathetic or alienated. But that's all a chitzonius perspective. I say chitzonius, I don't mean stam chitzonius, I mean 
It's a deep perspective, but it's relatively, it's, it's external. And the ultimate truth of everything, the guf hagashmi, the physical body and everything represented by the Geshem, which at first glance would seem to be completely alienated from the truth of the divine, carries the essence itself. Where all Ruchnius carries the light, the Geshem carries the essence itself. It's the seat of the essence itself. It's declaration. I am is really the voice of Atmos saying, I am, and there's no, there's no precedent. And when the two are aligned, that is what Geul is. When the two are aligned, when one realizes that the truth of the Yesha Nivra is the truth of the Yesha Miti. And that's why the ultimate schar, according to that shitta, which has been accepted by the Chachmei Hanister and the Ramban, is that the ultimate schar is going to be in the Guf, not outside of the Guf. Even though there's another shitta, an Eluv Eluv, Divrelekim Chaim, because there's another Mahalach in the Guf also. It's not, it's not a contradiction. There's many layers to, to truth. It's not, every, it's not black and white. There's many layers to truth. Yes. I have um, two questions regarding... Only two? Only two questions? Okay. So, first question is that there was a Chamor by Bilam. Ah. That's a little more stretched. Is that by Dina there was a Chamor. Ah. Dina, Dina. Dina, there was a human Chamor. <laughs> a real Chamor. Chamor, like we say in Hebrew, a Chamor. Yeah, yeah. Those chamoyim are also connected, as you can guess. Huh? He says, but what happened to Bilam's donkey? Why am I ignoring Bilam's donkey? And why am I ignoring Dina's donkey? Chamoyim, who was the father of, uh, of Shechem. Right? Shechem ben Chamoyim. Yeah. Yeah. Bilam, there's Rash. It's right along the same lines. With Avram. Not the same. Avraham Nizdaris and Bilam Nizdaris. They both rushed... Uh, they both rush to settle the donkey. But there, there is a connection. It's not for now. It's a little bit more. Over there, the chamer was misused, yeah. But what, what, what do you see? That the donkey spoke to Bilam. Bilam was a prophet. And the donkey enlightened Bilam, right? The donkey spoke to Bilam. The donkey told Bilam, what are you doing? Over there, you also see, right, something. Ah? No, Bilam's chamer was killed also, no? Chamer was killed with his son. The whole Shechem was killed. Oh, 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 was killed. Also by Bilam it says Asoy, not Chamer. It's a female donkey. And the Shechemar in Sanhedrin has a whole Maisa, what Bilam did with it. Ah. Yeah, yes, yeah, so we say Bilam's donkey was killed. Yeah. Gets redeemed. Pidyon Peta Chamer. The only one, yeah. Every, when you have a, a, a donkey, a pidyon petachamar, you have to redeem it. And it, it carried the, the goods out of Israel. Also, yeah. Every Jew, every Jew had donkeys to take out the... Uh, it seems that... Gemarim Chayrus, yeah? Anivasiya, um, this concept of... Uh, when I feel like I'm seven minutes it seems like the further I am from the reality of the Ebershto, the more I feel like that. It mm. seems like the opposite. Right. And, and the more, look, for example, so they, can, they don't feel, I mean, they feel the like, of the good, but they don't feel the, this anivasia, uh, this whole, uh, how do you? That's kolagavoya b'yoyse, yared lamata b'yoyse. That's the whole point. The whole point is that, that the ultimate truth of Yiddishkeit is not found in the, in the negation 
of, of the eye, the great tension that we all deal with, that religion deals with is God's will versus my will. God's plan versus my plan. My body versus my soul. Heaven versus earth, right? And who wins? And every day it's a new battle and a new struggle. What's the truth and what do I feel? What's the ultimate reality and what's my reality? What God wants and what I want, right? Or what some people will call uh, in these circles, bittle versus self-confidence. <laughs> yeah, somebody once told me that uh, for him, you know, in yeshiva he was always told, you're a shmata, you're a nothing, you're a nobody, just do the right thing, right? Uh, and then others say, no, you've got to build up yourself and self-confidence. And you No, know, that's avoidazara, that's idolatry. Now your ego becomes the main thing. It's not about you. That whole tension, is, it's, it's a serious tension. And um, ego is easing God out, right? To say ego is easing God out uh, or edging, edging God out. And there's, yeah, ego is edging God. The Gemara says in Saita that Hashem tells a Balgaiva, Eina Nivuhu, Yechoilam Lader, Tachas Krifa Achas. I can't live with an arrogant person under one roof because arrogance is really the, the root for uh, all, uh, all toxicity. You know, when a person is arrogant, they can't hear anything. There's nobody outside of me. There's no other opinion. There's no, you can't have a relationship with anybody, with any, you can't even have a relationship with yourself. You're too arrogant. So these are all, you know, the sources for everything, no question. And the Alter Rebbe himself, who's the one who says this, and wrote this two, three days, you know the Alter Rebbe wrote this, I mentioned, two, three days before he passed away. He never said this during his lifetime. In his whole lifetime, the Alter Rebbe never said this. Not that we know of, not recorded. Two, three days before his passing, he passed away, Metzoy Shabbos, Chavdala Tevis, either Friday or Thursday or Wednesday, one of those days, he wrote, he wrote this, he wrote a whole... One of his most complicated maimarim. It's a chapter. It's printed in Tanya. Geres Hakodesh Simon Chaf. It's one of his longest maimarim that he wrote himself. Mostly he said, and other people wrote, but this he wrote himself, like the Tanya. And uh, and this is where he said it. His whole life he kept it a secret. Dafka <laughs> before he passed away, when his neshama was leaving his guf. L'chayre before you pass away, you think about the mile of the neshama, not the mile of the guf. The guf is going to the grave. Before people pass away, they think about Gan Eden, Neshama, Elam Haba. The Alter Rebbe, Punk Farket, huh? He's going to miss it. I don't know if he's going to miss it, but what, what, he was a real Manig Yisrael, so he didn't think about himself. He gave what he, what he gave over. So it's interesting. In the Alter Rebbe's Ramadan, you won't have any other source that will speak so much about Bittul Hayesh, like the Alter Rebbe. Bittul Hayesh, Bittul B'Metzius. Like a Tzavah, yeah. No, it was his Tzavah. This was a Tzavah, yeah. Yeah. The Rebbe once, Chavdala Tevis, said a whole Sikh explaining why the Alter Rebbe wrote this right before he passed away. I taught it once. It's on the, on the yeshiva.net. Look at the Sikhs for Chavdala Tevis once. A whole Sikh of why he said this before his passing. So that's the, that's Taka the Chiddush. This is a big Chiddush. That in the ultimate truth, Ein Oid Mulvadoi doesn't mean that the I has to be destroyed. That's not what it means. Einoid Mulvada means that the ultimate truth of the I that you're feeling, even though right now all you're feeling is the distance, or not even distance, it's not distance, you don't feel nothing. There's not even a glimmer of spirituality. That ultimate, that, that sense in its ultimate truth, 
when all layers will be exposing, you'll be able to see, you'll be able to x-ray it and take an MRI of your yesh. And you'll go through the MRI, will show what is the truth of that yesh. You'll see what is it? It's essentially atmos itself. So the ultimate redemption of the world is not by going to the world of Ruchni, is where everything is clear. No. Over there, it's a Gewaldic Indian, Olam Haba, Oir, Giluyim, everything. But where is the Atzmos, the Atzmos, the essence, which doesn't have a source, is expressed in that which feels it doesn't have a source. What feels it doesn't have a source? The Yeshagashmi. And that's why the Dire, Loyus Baruch, is Betachtoyim, and that's why the Mitzvahs, as he continues, are Davka in the Gashmi. Most mitzvahs are in the Gashmi. Why, why the Gashmi? Mitzvah should be more meditative, more spiritual. Because there's something in the physical that the mitzvah doesn't have. And, and that's why so much of life is the physical. So we always say, it's life, that's what it is. Get over it and move on, right? But the truth is, no. That's where ultimate MS is. Did I answer your question? Not really. Okay. You can ask further, you can ask more, don't worry. The itself, you know the Milo Begoof, which is... Form race is very low, but person, the actual concept of feeling that I am separated from the Abrish, that itself, that that itself is. Yeah. There's no, I mean, the more, it, you learn a little bit of Chassidus, you, you know that it's the opposite of the truth. But that feeling, I am separated, I am my own thing, I don't need anybody, what is that? You're saying that it's your separateness from Hashem. And Al Tarebbe said it's your Dvekas in Hashem. I guess we'll only see that, we'll only understand what but, but you can relate to it a little bit. You're saying, you're interpreting it as your separateness. And he's interpreting it actually as your deepest relationship. So the more I get into that mindset, the more I'm closer to it. <laughs> oh, okay. So now like everything, you have to, uh, you have to be sensitive. This is, it's uh, edelist stuff. It's, it's edelist stuff. Can, <laughs> can we say that the uh, in the last year, the last few years of the Rebbe, he started to say things that uh, were very, uh, he said them in previous years, but in the last years he said more. So Shabbos Vayishlach Tovshin Nun Aleph, the Rebbe said, I heard it from his mouth, he said that uh, in Kedusha everything is precise, everything is Bediuk. When something is larger in numbers, it means it has some advantage, not just in numbers, but also spiritually. The fact that it's bigger, it's more, means there's also a spiritual advantage. So he said, even though in so many places we talk about the fact that the Jews are the smallest of nations, and less quantity, but more quality and so forth. The fact that in actuality there are so many more Gentiles than Jews, it means that even in Ruchnius, there's some Milan, the non-Jew, that is unique to the non-Jew. So it, it's, not, it's not always black and white. There's a certain Mila that exists in every single person. And sometimes, just like in every person, every person has their uniqueness, the fact that there's billions of non-Jews, yeah, they have a special role to play and something unique that the Jew doesn't have. It's ultimately all connected to the Jewish people because and we have to help the non-Jew bring out that, that Kedusha in him. But there's something there. 
You take a look, Vayishlach Tavshin on Aleph. Speaks about the Mile of Ishapcha, the Mile of Transformation, the Mile of Ishapcha Chashaycha Le'oira, etc. These are not oases that we used often in previous years, but the last few years the Rebbe spilled a lot of, the, a lot of beans, as they say. It could be. Listen, it says in Zohar, I said last time, that Parai is Pirian Vizgalium and Ekol Nahirim. Parai comes from the word Priya. All the lights are open by him. All the lights are exposed. Parai is Paruap, open. What, the Zohar didn't know who Parai was. They didn't know who Parai was. When we we're learning now about the Shmois Ve'era, Boy, B'Shalach, we know who Parai is. The Pshat is again, Kola Gavoya Gavoya B'Yaisa, Yered Lamatamata B'Yaisa. Okay, but now we come, you address a good, a good um, again, you have to know, when you say, it doesn't mean when it's mata mata, it's gavoya. It means it came from gavoya, but it could be, sometimes you have a genius, yeah, goes through a breakdown, a nervous breakdown. A genius. After the breakdown, yeah, you could still recognize genius, but it's broken, it's fragmented. You know what I mean? You'll sometimes have a homeless person walking in the street saying things. Huh? Tesla. And people will say, you know, 20 years ago he was, he was, a, he was unbelievable. Now he's broken. But, and sometimes the breakdown happens, the, the potential. But it's broken. It's, it's lost in translation. There's Esau before the bitter, and there's Esau after the bitter. There's a word from the Vilna Gaon, they say. It says in Malachi, it's the Haftar of Parshas uh, Vayishlach, uh, Parshas uh, Vayetze Vayishlach. I think Vayetze told us one of the Parshas about Esau. The Mavi Malach, Hashem says, uh, um, the Jewish people were going to say, you tell us that you love us, but do you really love us? Why would you love us? That's what the Navi, the last Navi of Klal Yisrael was Malachi. He was at the end of. He was uh, the beginning of Bayasheni. That's when Navua ended. So the last prophecy, it's the last Sefer of Tanakh, Malachi, is basically the Jewish people tell God, do you really love us? You tell us you love us, but is it true? You know when somebody tells you I love you and you don't believe them? Right? It happens often, right? Even if you say thank you, but you don't really believe them because what's there to love? I hate myself, so why would you, uh, why, why would you love me? It's hard, it's hard to accept uh, love sometimes, especially if you have... Uh, uh, if you're not in touch with the Yeshanivra so well, touch the Yeshanivra, it's much healthier. If not, it's a problem because you do exist. I don't exist. I'm supposed to exist. I'm not supposed to exist. Uh, so, uh, so the Navi says, You're going to tell God, well, you don't really love us. So he says, Ach of Esav was a brother for Yaakov, and I loved Yaakov, and I loathed Esav. So the Vilna Gaon says, he says, V'oyeves Yaakov, V'es Esav Sanesi. Not V'esav Sanesi, V'es Esav Sanesi. The Gemara says, whenever it says S, S means that which is accessory. For example, by Mikveh it says, V'rochatz, S P'soroi Bamayim. So the Gemara says, what's S? S is Tofel P'soroi. You have to put your here also into the Mikveh. Es psore means not the flesh, that which is an accessory to the flesh. Kabed es avicha, ve'esimecha. should say kabed avicha, respect your father. Who's es? Es is your brother, your older brother, achicha hagadol, right? He's an accessory to the father and mother because the oldest child always carries, as we know, uh, all the stuff of the family. If you're an oldest, you know what I'm talking about. 
And if you're not an oldest, I get to be the baby of the family. But if you're, uh, you're the oldest, okay. The old, uh, the, there's a reason that the B'char gets double. He pays a price for the double. Uh, it's not so partial to be a B'char. You're like, you're, you're the middleman, you know? You're the middleman. And also, you're the guinea pig. They exp- all, all the mistakes <laughs> were done. We're done on the B'char usually. So uh, S is always accessory. So he says, Which part of Esau do I hate? The S of Esau. That which became Toffel to Esau. Esau in his Shorish, it says, where's Esau buried? Reisha the Esau, the head of Esau, is because in the bosom of Yitzchak. That's where the head of Esau is. So the Mepharshim say, there's a halachi, you're not allowed to bury a Russia near a tzaddik. You're not allowed to do that. How can it be that Esau's head is buried ad literally in Yitzchak's bosom by Yitzchak's chest? Yitzchak's The answer is Esau's head is something different than the rest of Esau. Esau spiritually was beheaded physically too. Why? Because Esau's head, meaning Esau's source, Esau's genesis, is right there by Yitzchak. That's why Yitzchak wants to bless him. Esau is a holy child. The tragedy of Esau is he didn't know how to translate his holiness into his body, into his real life. So therefore, so much, so many things attach themselves to Esau. So the Rebbeinu Shalom says, "The S Esau Sanesi, the S of Esau I loathe." By Yaakov, even the S is holy, and by Esau, the S is Sanesi. Yeah, Yitoifes. That's a very, uh, that's a pretty loaded, uh, loaded idea. So it was so true that it actually affected his head, that his head was... So his head like went to Yitzchak, because the shirish of Esau is, is connected. And that's why ultimately we speak about the birur of the whole world. The, the Rambam brings in the end of Hilchus Malachim, the Pasuk says that during the time of Mashiach, so it says that kol ha'amim, right, what's the, what's the expression over there? Safa uh, brura, that basically all the nations are going to likre kulam b'shem Hashem la'avdoi shechem echot. It's going to be a unison. Rashi even says, I don't know if you know, what are you supposed to think when you say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekeinu, Hashem Echad? It says in Shulchan Aruch, you have to have Kavana by that first Pasuk, it's Ma'akev. How does Rashi teach Hashem Alekeinu, Hashem Echad? Most people don't know. Rashi, everyone says, Hero Israel, God is our God, God is one. Rashi says, that's not Pshat, Shema Yisrael. Hashem Alekeinu, Hashem Echad. The God who today we say is our God, one day he's going to be the one God of everybody. Hashem Eloikeinu, Shema Yisrael, you should hear. Hashem Eloikeinu, the God that is Eloikeinu, you should know, that's now. But one day that Hashem is going to be Echad, it's going to unite the whole humanity. That's the Kavan of Krishna. When you're thinking, when you're saying Shema Yisrael, you have to think about Mashiach. That's what Rashi says, Kipshutai. Hashem Eloikeinu, Hashem Echad. Somebody had told me that for a while. There's a reference... And just also, just the, the, the concept yeah. of how that contrasts with, with Chesed Lomunchatas. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know, I have to look about, I have to look into that. And it's in Tehillim Yahil Ur. I'll have to, I have to look, I don't know, I don't want to answer stuff. I'll take a look, Bleed I'll take a look. 
But now here we come to the next step. This was Siv Gimel. Here you have to understand, Taka, as he says, why is it Taka this way? And I think this will address also your question. This was the Chiddush of the Alter Rebbe, but then he wants to know, why is it Taka this way? That in the Ruchnius, you don't have an expression of the Yeshamit. I mean, obviously, we're not saying that the essence of Hashem is only in the physical world. The essence of Hashem is, is everything. It's everywhere. Why is it Taka that in the Gashmi you have an expression of the Yesha Amiti that you don't have in the Ruchni. And that's why we say that the ultimate Dira of Hashem is going to be where B'Takhtaynim. And all of the highest worlds are just accessories. Tafel Ta'ilam Hazah Gashmi. Why is that Taka? You explain to me that the Yesh of the Gashmi don't divorce it from Hashem. And the ultimate I, the sense of Ainus, the sense of Ainus, which seems so distant, is really... A mirror, it's really an embodiment of the eye of, of, of God, the Yesha Miti. But why is it that way? That the Ruchnius is not the home, at least also, at least the Ruchnius should also be a home for the Yesha Miti. Why are we discriminating against spirituality so much? And this is where the Mashalim of the Mittler Rebbe add a new dimension, a new perspective. And let's go back to the tipa, because that's the third marshal that really becomes our focus, the marshal of the tipa. Somebody said it at the end of last year, Rabbi Drizzen, very nicely. <laughs> when you'll ask about parenting, let's think about this. What's the greatest gift that parents give a child, can give to a child? Now, obviously, we know the basics. A home, <laughs> security, safety, Shelter, love, <clears throat> connection, family. The basic things that parents have the responsibility to provide for their children, both physically, emotionally, psychologically, morally, and spiritually, which all goes into the world of, excuse me, of education, of chinuch, both in physical matters and in spiritual matters. And that's all, that's all so true. But if you'll ask, and I want to pose this question, and there may be more than one answer, when you bring it all, the summation of everything, what is the greatest thing you can give your child? I understand you have to give them food and drinks for them to survive. I mean, talking about beyond, you know, they should be able to survive. If you're not going to nurse an infant, they have no hope in this world. Even animals know that, but for them it's a shorter amount of time. For us it goes for 60, 70 years. You have to nurse them. But, I mean, it depends on which community you live in. But uh, at least for a couple of years, you've got to feed them. So we understand the basic stuff that you have to provide on some level because kids are, don't have the ability to function in a world until they're adults. And even then, uh, sometimes uh, Papa, Papa got to uh, intervene. But we won't, uh, we won't go there at the moment. What is the greatest gift after the basic survival skills, survival ability, that a parent, you think, could give a child. From your experience. <laughs> or maybe not from your experience. <laughs> maybe from the lack of experience. I mean, huh? Independence. Why, why do you feel that independence is the greatest independence gift? Independence in a sense of, okay, I don't care about you. In a sense of, they can think for themselves. They can be that they can think for themselves. Yeah, what do you say? Anybody else? The, the Hashem 
I think Abisher means the creator. And Hashem gave the man and the woman the ability to create a new child. So that's that's it seems like that's such a high high thing. Right. Responsibility. Responsibility. I heard in a YY lecture, he said that when the parents have a good relationship, that's probably the best thing. <laughs> yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> that's what my wife says. <laughs> Do I have a choice to agree or disagree? Maybe <laughs> you have a choice because of consequences. You can be a better person than yourself sometimes. Learn from your own mistakes. <laughs> to give over weight, but maybe you missed that. Out. To give over your own mistakes so yeah. they don't have to repeat them. <laughs> or sometimes to give over your mistakes without telling them it's mistakes so they could go through that process. You see, he wants him to be even better than himself. So if you think about it, essentially, the greatest gift, and this is, this is essentially what it is, even before we make a choice. What is the idea of having a child? The idea of having a child is that you're creating something that's separate from you. You're creating something that is distinct from you. It's a separate entity. I mean physically, a separate entity. That is the gift of childhood. What is this koyach of reproduction, of, of procreation that the Rebbeinu Shalom gave of mother and a father? There are a lot of things we can do with our lives. All the things that we do are extensions of us. They ultimately live as long as we live in them on one level or another. The place where we can really create something outside of us, something separate from us, something distinct from us, that is a child. That's what a child is. A child is, you created it, a father and a mother created it. What did you create? You created a mohus chadash. You created a self-contained organism that one day will be able to grow up and function hopefully independently on its own. That is the gift of childhood. The gift of childhood is not I'm expressing myself. The gift of childhood is, just what the, what the natural gift is, I created a new person who just like me can create a new person. And essentially what that means is that when I think about what's the greatest thing I can give that child is the ability to be able to create a child. He could also, or she can also create to create a child. Which means that they're not forever dependent on me and are just children and remain children forever. Because then I'm doing to them what? I'm depriving them from the gift that I received from my parents. The gift I received from my parents was that I became an independent person who could now father a child or mother a child. So it's like a bird who holds all the birds in the nest and says, I don't want you to fly away. And therefore I'm going to clip your wings so that way we could be a close family together. 
But what that mother bird is doing is she's cutting off the chain forever. There's not going to be eternity because the chicks are going to die and that's it. The real motherhood comes out when she says, Lech! Taufi mikan. Get out of here. Why are you breaking up the family? You're not breaking up the family. You're actually immortalizing the family. Because you're letting her go become a mother herself. Even though that means she's becoming separate from you. Because she's not coming back to this nest. She now has to find her mate and has to build her nest and has to take care of her young. But we all understand that's the greatest kindness she can do for this child because it lets the child become an adult, so to speak, from a chick, uh, a, uh, a bird, and then uh, hopefully a mother bird. It comes with challenges because independence comes with challenges. Creativity comes with challenges. Responsibility comes with challenges. So when the Rebbeinu Shalom says, it's time to, to, to reproduce. The Alter Rebbe once said, a beautiful word. He says, the erste mitzvah, the first mitzvah in Torah is pruervu. So he said in Yiddish, the first mitzvah is ayid dafmache nach ayid. The first mitzvah in the whole Torah is a Jew needs to make another Jew. The way he put it, the first mitzvah is bistayid dafmache nach ayid, make another Jew. What does it mean to make another Jew? It means to make another Jew. Not to make yourself. <laughs> to make another Jew. To make another person. That's what a child is. I'm making another person. Now that person needs me. That person can't survive on their own. They need my food. They need my shelter. They need my security. They need my love. They need the relationship. They need the attachment. A child that doesn't have attachment suffers terribly physically and emotionally. But what is, that's a means to an end. What's the ultimate purpose? The ultimate purpose is, Al-Kain, Yazoiv Ish es avives imoi, v'davak b'ishtoi. As the Torah says, he should let go of his father and mother. Why? Why are you breaking up a family? Because if you don't break up a family, if everyone stays in the same bedroom, for, in the same dining room and, and family room forever, it's beautiful, but it's running contrary to the very design. They're never maximizing their potential and the family could never could never, you're killing it, you're actually you're nipping it in the bud, you're not letting the, the tree blossom, because you're saying, let's just, let's just keep it together, so your ultimate purpose is to leave Tati and Mami and say goodbye and do what Tati and Mami did for you, they brought you into the world, now you will do the same thing, you will bring a new generation into the world and you will empower them to say goodbye to you and do to others what was done for them, rather than deprive them from that ability, or they saying, we're not interested, we're stopping the chain right here. That is the cycle of creation. It's not just in the human race, it's in the whole animal kingdom. It's not just in the animal kingdom, it's in the whole world of, of botany. All, all vegetation, all produce is be, de, be, based on this principle. I don't know if you're familiar how much Messiris Nefesh, if I could use that word, trees and flowers and plants have to make sure that the seeds are protected and maintained and can reach a place where they can once again take root in the earth and, 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 and repro- reproduce. And the, whole, the whole system is, is made, made that way. The buck doesn't stop here. The statement, the buck stops here, is maybe good for uh, an executive in an office, but in terms of, of, of the planet, the buck never stops here. The buck is here, and now it has to be, uh, it has to be passed on to the next. Plant, you could cut, cut, cut a plant, still t- push out the food. Push out yes, the food. yes, yes, yes. 
Yes, and every every fruit is designed to protect its seed in an extraordinary way. I mean, I don't know if you realize, you eat a peach, right? Try cutting the pit of the peach. Good luck. Yeah, you'll get hurt much faster than that pit. It's almost impenetrable. And the reason is because it contains it contains the DNA. It contains the secrets of reproduction. It contains the seeds. So what happens? The way nature is designed, the way Hashem designed the world is, before we had our, our nice kitchens and dining rooms, when you finished with a peach, you threw the pit onto the ground. And here is the miracle. When the pit of a peach hits soil, suddenly it dissolves. Try breaking it, you'll never break it. But you put it in the earth, and after a little while it just opens up, and the seed falls into the earth, and a new peach tree grows. So every fruit, every fruit, I don't know if you realize, watermelons, why are the seeds so slippery? (laughs) The seeds are so slippery, so they should be able to slip off. When you open it up, it should slip off. People, again, were in contact with the earth, it slips down to the earth, and it could, it, could, it could reproduce again. Every fruit has its mechanism to maintain this. Why? Because this is inherent to creation. The buck doesn't stop there. You do for your children what, have been, what has been done for you. What does this then mean? Let's understand this. We also understand this emotionally and psychologically, Right? The greatest, one of the greatest gifts you can give your children is that they don't need you. I don't mean they don't need you, they don't want you, chas v'shalom. They don't need you for survival. They don't need you, should I go to the dentist? Tati, I'm 69 years old, could you take me to the dentist? Right? Financially, we all understand when they could have the confidence and the bracha to be able to build themselves up. Emotionally too. I don't need you to guide me directly. Not because I don't want you. I want you. But it's really the more we were connected when we were young, the more we could be disconnected when we get older in a healthy way. Right? That's what they have learned also psychologically. We'll soon see here where it comes from. They used to think, and this is fascinating, that children who get too much cozy, tender love it's detrimental for them. I don't know if you know that in America till the 1960s, you weren't allowed to stay with your child in the hospital. Even a little child, you deposited them in the hospital, you could come once or twice a week for an hour. And it was based on the fact that these kids need independence. It was often said by some great psychologists and, and physicians and healers and philosophers, the more kissing the more hugging, the more cuddling, the more I love you, the more damaging, the more paralyzing. You're creating crippled children who who forever will need love. Teach them to become tough, harsh, independent, and they'll be able to grow up and take responsibility. There were a few great healers and thinkers and therapists who challenged this, and it took decades John Bowlby was one of the big ones and others who revolutionized the whole thing and realized it's exactly the other way around. They did experiments with baboons and different monkeys showing the anxiety of separation. He put in videos in hospitals showing what children are experiencing when their mother leaves. And they wanted to throw them out and they dehumanized them and delegitimized them. But ultimately, if you could put your child in the hospital and stay there overnight, there's a person to thank for this. Don't take it for granted. There was a change of machshava, there was a change of thinking. And the change of thinking discovered that it's exactly the opposite. 
that children, not only among the human race, even among the animal, need attachment. They need to have the safety, the security, the comfort that there's somebody who really cares for me, there's somebody who's going to respond to my needs, there's somebody for whom my emotions matter very, very much. And the more they have that when they need it, the more they can actually detach in a healthy way, feeling the power of independence because their eye has become wholesome, their eye has become uh, healthy. Where if my eye is so shattered and broken and fragmented, even as a 46-year-old, I'm still looking for that attachment. And when I get married, it just translates to my wife or translates to my husband. And when I have children, it translates to my children. And when I have grandchildren, I'm still a three-year-old looking for attachment. And everything is processed that way. So the more attachment, the more detachment in a healthy way. The less attachment, the less detachment, because I always need you. I'm like a parasite, because there's so little wholesomeness. And many of the challenges that people have in their marriages are basically, can be traced back to their attachment needs. Did they have the attachment that they need? Did they ever graduate? What is it that they, that they never had? And so forth. So these are, these are uh, powerful ideas that just came out in the last few decades in the world of therapy and marriage and education and so forth. But here we see it in the Shirish. If this is the case, yeah, let's speak about a teacher or a leader. There are teachers who create students. There are leaders who create followers, right? But in the famous expression, those are not the great leaders. The great leaders don't only create students and followers. The great leaders create leaders. Why? Because they create people who become like them. Just like they're not following their leaders, they're not creating people who are always followers. They're creating people who actually think like they think. And because they think like they think, so they're actually not students. They become leaders. They have that creativity, that expansiveness to be able to create what their leaders created. So you're not just creating students, which seems great, because you're so big. So you created such small people. That means you're small. <laughs> when you're really big, you don't create people that are dependent. You create people that can go out and do what you did. So here is a paradox. Huh? Huh? In some ways, in some ways. Here is the paradox. There's a teacher who keeps the students very close and very dependent. Very, very dependent. You never feel you have the confidence because I want you to remain a student forever. When you look at that student, he's always quoting his teacher. (laughs) He's always calling his teacher. (laughs) He's always referencing his teacher. He's always using his teacher as a source. There's such closeness. Then you'll have another student who may not quote his teacher a lot, may not call him, may not use him as a reference, may not blame him, actually is so much more distant, is so much more independent. But who's really closer? Who's really closer? There are two types of closeness. There's a closeness that is expressed in closeness. And there's a closeness expressed, you don't have to be close because you have become me. When you have not become me, you have to be close because that's your only connection to me. When you have become me, you don't have to be close anymore because even in the furthest distance, you are me. There's an expression, 
you have become me. There's the child who always has to call Tati, should I do this, should I not do this? I'm full of doubt, I'm full of uncertainty. I never know what to do. I, I could never be independent, I never have the confidence. You have made a child who will forever be close to you because in many ways he's so far from you. And then you have created a person, right? Who has wings and flies far, far away and does their own thing completely. Does their own thing completely. Who's really closer? It would look like this person is so much further. They forgot you. No, no, no. They are you. You have been independent. They have become independent. In their independence, you can find yourself. Why? Because that was what you wanted. I didn't want you to be my follower. I wanted you to develop and get what I got so that you could become independent. So in your distinctiveness, you are really a reflection of me. So that the great teacher looks at that student who's far, far away and does his own thing and really gets the most nachas because he knows that this is the greatest reflection of him. By not reflecting him, he reflects him so much more because he reflects his essence. He has become a carbon copy of him in a good way. I don't mean a carbon copy, but he has become an embodiment of him rather than an extension of him. An extension of him means he never really became connected because if he would really become connected, he would be able to reproduce himself. Biologically, we have the same thing. What's the tipa? What's the sperm? You could speak and share and share, but that doesn't have the DNA. A teacher could give shiurim for 70 years, but that doesn't have your DNA. All that has is information that they're going to receive. It's the tipa, it's the physical tipa that comes out of you. It seems so nothing. That has everything. That has your core. What does that create? That creates somebody who is like you, an independent person. But here's an interesting thing. When you look at a painting... You may have worked on this painting for 30 years. Adam Chasal Maisa Yadav. If a painting is lost, people mourn, but it doesn't come close to something happening to a child. Why is that? The child comes from the tipa. The painting came from 30 years. And the answer is because the child embodies the deepest core, the deepest core of the parent. The body manifests your core. And that's why, what do you have here? You don't have an expression. You have something that becomes self-contained, independent. It grows up as a child. Psychologically too, that's physically. Psychologically too, there's two ways of educating. What does all of this teach us? What this teaches us is, in this manifestation, where will you see your truest self? You will see your truest self, not in that which is connected. You will see your truest self in that which becomes yourself and therefore will be completely self-contained like you are. So there is a parent or an educator or a leader who wants those strings to remain attached and that's for them nachas. But the reason that's nachas is because they are not wholesome. But the real wholesome leader the ultimate nachas, the ultimate joy is when I can watch you fly away and do your own thing and you're not, you're not asking me anymore. Like, I'm out of the picture. And you'll tell the person, don't you feel horrible? Don't you feel horrible? Like, where, where, where are you in this picture? You're the one who's responsible for this. No. 
I don't find myself in that which has to remain connected to me. I find myself so much more in that which is completely independent. Because that's not an extension. That is the essence itself transported into a new generation, into a new world. Now let's think about this in terms of a person's relationship with Hashem. The Ramchal and others ask the big question. If the whole reason we need Avoida is because it shouldn't be free lunch, God wants to give us everything, but He doesn't want it to be free lunch. So therefore, He wants us to work. He wants us to work so we should deserve it. Because when you get something that you earned, you appreciate it much more. So if we would get Ganeidin and Olam Haba and everything else without paying for it, without working, it would be what's called Nahama de Chisufa, bread of shame. Through Avoida, you earn it. So the question is, why couldn't he create us with a nature that we would receive free lunch and we would still love it? We all know that there are people who if your whole day, your whole life, you're collecting, you don't feel good. But I'm sure there's two, three people in the world who are born like this and they really don't mind receiving and receiving. God could have all given us that nature that we shouldn't have that dignity that I have to earn my lunch. I don't have to earn my lunch. You can give me lunch every day and I'm good. And then he wouldn't have to make this whole thing that you need to work and work and work and struggle and fight and feel, oh, it's my schar. The whole nature he created. Why did he create us with such a lousy nature that then requires me to work hard? You want to be nice to me? Teva hatoiv lahetiv, Hashem is good. He wants to give goodness. No problem. Create a world. Give me everything. And I shouldn't have to do a stitch of work. I shouldn't have to dip my finger into cold water. I should feel completely content being the ultimate recipient of goodness and satisfied. That's what I see as good. But the truth is that from a deeper perspective, Chassidus explains that it sounds very nice, but that would be missing one aspect. What would, what would it be missing? <laughs> this the Rebbe explained on his 70th birthday. He said that people asked him to go into retirement. At the age of 70, you're supposed to retire. So he said then this talk. Listen to the idea. The greatest goodness, we're looking at good, lunch, breakfast, supper. Hashem should give me whatever I need. The real goodness and the ultimate goodness is that Hashem could give is dveikus with Him, oneness with Him. The greatest goodness that God could give you is to be one with God, to be God-like, to be divine, because that's the source of all goodness. That's the source of everything. If Hashem would create, it a, a, would create us with a nature that He gives and we receive and we're content with that reception, then our ultimate goodness would just be receiving from Hashem, which is great. But He wanted to give us something much more. We should become God. We should be God-like. We should be divine, not just recipients from the divine. What does it mean to be divine? That you create, that you give, that you become divine-like. You're not just a makabel, you're a mashpia. You're not just a recipient of creation. You create life. So God gave you a life and says, here's life. I gave you. But now you have to create and that's in the very embedded in our nature that I'm not going to be happy just to receive. Because if I would be happy just receiving, my ultimate perfection in life is I remain a recipient of God. Which means I never 
have real oneness with Hashem. I never become godlike. So we're driven not just to receive. We're driven to create our own fate, to create, to create our own destiny. And in that, we don't become students of God. We become actually divine. In our independence, in our need for independence, in our need to create our own destiny, in our need to me take responsibility for my life, that's where I don't become distant. I actually become much more connected. So now, let's go back to the Yesh. The Yesh. Which part of the world feels the most independence? Which part of the world feels the most independence? The definition of spirituality is connection. That's what Eir is. Eir is connection. Light is always connected to the source. That's what all the spiritual words are. They're students. They're recipients. They're makablim. They remain connected to the great light. Whether they want to use the metaphor of light or the metaphor of water or the metaphor of teachers, the metaphor of students, I'm connected to the light. But then you have this world. This world is like the tipa. This world is no connection. Absolutely no connection. You don't feel any of that connection. So the question was, why can't Atzmus be expressed in all of Ruchnius? And the answer for that is, because all of Ruchnius essentially is a connection. It's a Talmud. It's a Makabal. Where is Atmos himself? Where is it expressed? In that one world that screams independence, detachment, autonomy. So on one level, your child could say, goodbye, bye-bye, I don't need you, I don't want you. They fly away, and that's it. That's Gashmi is the way it's misunderstood. That's the Yesh Hanivra, the way it's misunderstood. That's the way you raise a child who becomes an independent monster and bully and runs away because there was no attachment. <laughs> so therefore, because there was no attachment, in order to avoid the pain that there was no attachment, they have to become detached because the attachment is so painful and the lack of it is so painful, they can't acknowledge that they need you. So because they can't acknowledge that they need you, they say, I don't need you forever. And that's why the Geris HaKodesh of the Alter Rebbe had to come after the rest of his life where he spoke about attachment. Because if you don't have attachment, then the detachment becomes toxic. Then the detachment is, I don't want you, I hate you. Because I needed you so much and I loved you so much and I didn't get it and it's so painful, so the only way I can deal with it is by saying, I hate you and I don't want you and I don't need you. Because if I don't need you, there's no pain of not having you. There's only pain of not having you if I need you. If I don't need you, I don't have you. So when a child tells his father, I don't need you, I don't need you, you're the worst thing that ever happened to me, it's essentially the pain of saying, I needed you so much, and I never had it, so that's the only way I can deal with it, because I'm not ready to open myself up to that pain. So that's why this stage of the Yesha Gashmi being one with the Yesha Miti could only come after there's a very deep understanding of the attachment but where is the ultimate gift? Where does the ultimate etzim come out? Where is the ultimate? Where does the ultimate divine come out? It can't come out in the words of the teacher or the parent. It comes out in the DNA. The DNA is separated into the tipa. The tipa has those genetic secrets, that procreative power in the separateness, independence. So now you ask a question. You feel completely independent, you feel completely detached, you feel completely alienated. And the more you feel alienated, it's what? It's the more hergish of Mitzvah Simeat 
in the Shoirish Ha'inyan, in the Oymik Ha'inyan, that is its emas. That's where the greatest truth of the parent comes out. That's where the greatest core of the parent comes out. In the world that is completely independent, but what is it really? It's really divine. It's really atzmos. It's really metusim atzmosa. Just like that leader or that teacher or that parent who looks at the child flying away, completely on their own. They have their own resources, their own mind, their own heart. They're really not dependent on any level. And yet, that represents the greatest relationship. It represents the greatest closeness. It represents the greatest intimacy. Why? Why? You don't need me. You don't need me. You're not a parasite anymore. I don't have to wire money. I don't have to wire advice. I'm not telling you you should do this with your parents. As long as you can get them to wire the money, get them to wire the money. No question. Better in your bank account than in their bank account or somebody else's bank. Why should it go to the IRS? Let it go to you. I'm not here giving practical advice about how much you could squeeze the lemon of your parents. That's, uh, that you've got to figure out on your own. But, but the real concept is, in that moment, the father and mother could look and there's a certain inner wholesomeness that can't come from anything else. What is the wholesomeness? The wholesomeness of the knowledge, I didn't create just a child. I created a new father. I created a new mother. Essentially, this is where I am. My deepest essence is being manifested here because what I did for him, he can do for others. What was done for me, he can do for others. He's not anymore a reflection. He's independent. And in that independence, he captures me much more than he would capture me if he was not independent. Because in his independence, he captures my very, very core which is emerging in the fact that he has his own core. And that core is severed from my core. And in that severance, it's really a reflection of my core. They say they once asked one of the Geri Rebbes, I think it was the Svasemes, he changed a lot of things from his father. So they said to him, huh? from his grandfather, or the Imre Emes, from the Svasemes, one of the Geri Rebbes, the Svasemes' yard site was Heishvat, one of the Gary Rebbes, I think the Imri Emes from the Svasemes, they said, you know, uh, you're, you're a child or a grandchild of, of your father, of your Zayde, you're a follower. How can you, uh, how could have you changed so much? And he said, I copied my father. My father changed what his father did. <laughs> I changed from what my father did. <laughs> I'm a copy of my father. There's a, there's a profound insight in that. You understand? What does it mean I'm a copy of my father? Do I do the same thing? No. <laughs> I'm a copy of my father in the sense I have the same confidence like my father had. My father had a core, and I also have a core. He gave me that core. But what does it mean he gave me a core? It means that he had to cut the umbilical cord, that I have a core, that I have an eye. That's what the Yesh Hagashmi has from Hashem. No Ruchnius has that. All Ruchnius has an umbilical cord, and that's its beauty. That's why it's spiritual. That's why it's holy. That's why it's divine. It's part of the family. It didn't leave home. It's holy. That's what Ganeidin is. The Yesh HaGashmi was sent, bye-bye. I got nobody. I'm completely on my own. I don't even feel God exists, even though my whole entity is God, from God. So you could look at it and say, yeah, we're detached. He says, no, no, that's the greatest attachment. The greatest attachment is the detachment. The greatest attachment is 
you are Atzmos. <laughs> the greatest accomplishment. And the great, in many ways, it's not you're connected, you are actually the same. And that's the difference. There is connection, that's what Ruchnius is. Ruchnius is connected. Gashmius is not connected. <laughs> Look at it. Where is, the, where is it connected? It's not connected. It's the same. It's it. Gashmius screams, I am I. There's nothing, there's nothing outside of me. There's nothing. I am everything. I am invincible. I don't come from anywhere. That's, what is that? What is that? That is Atmos. That is the real I that has no source being embodied in the Yeshagashmi. So the Maimon says, why can't the Yeshagashmi be, exp- be expressed in Ruchnius? Find a way. And the answer is, it is in Ruchnius. Atmos is everywhere. It doesn't mean it's not there. But where can it come out? Where does the Gavoya, Gavoya be Yoiser? When you want to find the essence, where do you have to look? Where do you have to look? You have to look in that point of, of real independence, in that, in, that, in that point of separateness. I once heard from, uh, it was once Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah, so, uh, so his name is Meir Harlech. So I once heard from him that there was a Jew, his name was Beryl Baumgarten. He was a shliach of the Rebbe to Buenos Aires, to Argentina. For many years he was a teacher, I think, in the yeshiva Flatbush, and one year before Rosh Hashanah, the Lubavitcher Rebbe asked him to go on a shlichus, to go on a mission somewhere for some Jewish community or some Jewish families far away from New York. So he asked the Rebbe if he can go right after Rosh Hashanah. So he said, no, no, you should be there Rosh Hashanah. So he told the Rebbe that uh, I have never missed a Rosh Hashanah by the Rebbe. Never. And uh, the schus and the experience of being Tkiya Shoifer, when the Rebbe blows Shoifer Rosh Hashanah, is, is incredible. I don't want to miss it this year. I'll go right a day morning after Rosh Hashanah, I'll go. The Rebbe, Tkiya Rosh Hashanah, was a, it was a very emotional experience. The Rebbe would cry by the bimah, and whoever was around the bimah, the pushing there, they called it a washing machine, was incredibly powerful because of the... You saw things then that you didn't see a whole year. The Rebbe usually was pretty concealed. But Rosh Hashanah, by Tkiyas, there was a lot of gilu, a lot of revelation. You saw things that you didn't see. Even a simple person, you just, his face, the whole experience, it was very, very intense, very heavenly. So he didn't want to miss it. So the Rebbe says to him, he says, in Yiddish, I'll not translate. He says, Was trachst du? Wenn ich stehe bei der Bimme bei Tkiyas Schäufer, wegen wem trachtig? He said, when I'm standing by the Bimba by Tkir who do you think I'm thinking about? I know about the people, I'm thinking about only the people that are pushing around. I'm thinking first and foremost about the people who are far away. You can go for Rosh Hashanah. In other words, it's, it's, but, but it's true about all of life. That which seems close is not always close. <laughs> and that which seems far is sometimes much closer. Not because you're closer, because you're actually recreating the essence. And that's why you could be far. And that's why you have to be far. <laughs> and that's why you have to be far. That's where it all happens. On the other hand, if there's no attachment, so let, now let's get rid of Ruchnis. Let's stop talking about Ruchnis. No. 
Because if the, if the child doesn't grow up in a home of attachment, they can't be detached. They will be crippled. It's like sending out the bird before they develop wings. What's going to happen? It's, it's dangerous. Could we say that nowadays, uh, the individuality that you see in people, everyone wants to be their own messias. Yeah. That's an expression of this. Yeah. So, 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 what was your question before? Repeat your question, what you asked before. The further you get from the Abish, the more you feel... Uh, so you asked, does this mean that the... further f- you get from the truth, the more you... The further you are from the truth, the more truth you are. <laughs> that's what it seems like. If you're closer to truth, that's the truth of this world. This world is the furthest away from the truth. The furthest away from the truth, the more truth it has. Why? Why? Because the etzem comes out in the separateness. The mechanism is, I feel, I am I, I don't need anybody. The reason I don't feel I don't need anybody is because it's God shining through me and God doesn't need anybody. Just like the child, the reason he feels he doesn't need Tati is because he became Tati, because Tati gave him everything. Tati didn't give him only little, little. But sometimes fathers give their kids crumbs. Then you'll always need Tati. What if Tati gives you everything? Then you say, I don't need you. In that statement, I don't need you, what are you saying? You're saying, I got everything from you. There's nothing that I didn't get from you. In other words, I can't thank you enough. In that sense, you're the closest to him because you're the furthest to him. You could be further. You could be so far. If you wouldn't be so close, you can't be so far. The reason you could be so far is because you're so close. You're typhus? <laughs> That's why somebody else can't be so far. They would either become completely disconnected and disintegrated. The Yeshagashmi is so close, therefore it could be so you far. still feel it when you're so You're right. So the reason the Yesh screams, I don't need you, Tati. In fact, you're not even my Tati. <laughs> In fact, I don't even know your name. In fact, I don't know who you are, right? Which seems like the lowliest. So Bechitsoini is... It's what makes this world lowly, filthy. It's what makes this world the world with this clipper, with the sitracher, with Shayim Goivrim, like it says in Tanya Perigvav. That's, that's on one level. But Pnimius, what's the Oymakainian? Punkt Farkert. The cry, I don't need you, I don't ha- I'm, I'm completely detached from you, is because I got everything from you. Because I am you. Because I am you. And you am I. Your I is my I. My I is your I. That's why it's detached from you. <laughs> because it is you. It is you. Huh? Yes. The whole I is you. It's you playing itself out in this world. That's what I was explaining. Ah. What? No, you're right. If you don't have the attachment, you can't have the detachment. That's why we speak about ruchnius. We don't say there's no ruchnius. Again, it's like a child. You can't give him. You can't have him fly away if you haven't given him the wings and the support. You get what I'm saying? The yesh hagashmi can never be aligned with who it is if it doesn't have the conscious. If we don't learn about the consciousness of ruchnius, which is about connection. You 
Yes, you're right. 100%. How do you do that? You can't go back. You can only go forward. If you miss the first part, what do you do? You miss the first part, how do you go back? <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> you don't have to be sorry. It's a good question. If you missed attachment, how do you become... Uh, yeah. so that's what David HaMelech says in Tehillim, Perik Chavzayin, Ki avi ve'imi azavuni v'ashem ya'asveni. Right? My father and mother have neglected me and God took me in. A person sometimes has that challenge and they have to be able to find the unconditional love that they have from God. They have to be able to find that, to discover that. They have to be able to heal from that place. And when they can heal from that place, then they don't have to be defined by the wounds, by the lack, by the want. Because if they don't heal from that wound, then they're always just looking for that attachment that they didn't get. They could never really take responsibility for their life. They never have grown up. They have never become adults. Which is a challenge that many of us have. You see, we almost undermine our growth. It's like, I don't deserve to be an adult. A lot of people, like, I have to be a child. I will undermine my success because I don't deserve it. I'm still a baby. Like, what am I doing uh, handling so, so, many, so much money? A person who told me recently, they have a clear path for tremendous financial success. And it's pretty, it's hard, but it's also simple. And every day they undermine it. <laughs> he doesn't know why. He undermines it every day. He will, he will stay in shul an extra three hours knowing that he's undermining it. It's like almost there's a voice that says, it's not for you. You've got to stay in the small league, you know. You need papa, that's it. Don't, uh... So these are all voices that have to be seriously challenged and certainly not allowed to take control of people's lives. How do you relate to it so well? How do I relate to all of this? You want to know? How do you relate to what I'm relating to? How do you relate to what I'm relating to so well? The answer is because we're all in the same boat. That's why. <laughs> you think I was raised in Elam Hatzilis? What do you think I was raised? <laughs> you mentioned the idea of the Why yeah. He gave us the nature. No, no. In other words, then we our giving should be in a way that we don't I didn't know I was saying a vart. It's from the from and Tov Shalamet Beis. The Rebbe said then that if Hashem would have created us with the nature to be content with receiving, right? So the shleimus we would receive in life is to remain mekabelim from Hashem. What He wanted is to give us everything, including His etza, to be doyma leboire, to be divine like. Why the giving us no, so therefore you have to create your life. So you have to. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean to create something? It means to overcome, to overcome the resistance to that. 
What does it mean I'm creating that's something? Not I'm creating, I'm, I'm creating my life. I'm creating my life. If, if I'm programmed to do something, let's take a person. If I'm pre-programmed to always do, to always say, eat healthy, live healthy, do everything healthy, I'm not creating it. I'm just receiving, I'm just a recipient of a good programmer. He programmed my brain, and my brain just follows the script. So it's great, I have an unbelievable life, but I'm essentially forever the recipient, the mekabal. What the Rebbe Hashem wanted was, there should be the ultimate toiv, which is, you become the boire, you're not a nivra anymore. You're not created, you become the creator, you become completely one, connected to the creator, one with the creator. In other words, you're like co-partners of creating your life together. Yeah, we're not God, yeah, of course, we know that. <laughs> I should speak for myself. This is the Hungarian confidence that he got from his parents. Para is the other, para is it's my river, and I made myself, and therefore I can enslave the Jewish people. I'm the ultimate power. That's where the Yeshanivra becomes the most dysfunctional. That's where you become the most divorced. That's why we attack the ego. Because Paro's ego, Haman's ego, Nebuchadnezzar's ego. Nebuchadnezzar said, Adam and I'm like God. I am God. <laughs> the Geris HaKodesh is saying the same thing, but the exact opposite. <laughs> you understand? Paro was in denial. Paro was in denial, very good. <laughs> Paro was in denial, yeah. The Leo Oiri Vaniya Sassini is, I made myself, and therefore I could do whatever I want in the world. What we're saying is that you are the manifestation of the divine in this world. It's, it's more bittel, it's not less bittel. <laughs> the bittel creeps in even to the yesh. You know, even that which you thought was a yesh is eich yesh. It's the exact opposite. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.